Genesis 28, first book of the Bible, 28th chapter, and we'll start at verse 10. I encourage you to follow along in a pew Bible or on your phone app or listen and see it on the screens behind me. Hear the word of God, Genesis 28, starting at 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I'll give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And the stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all of you, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is the word of the Lord. So we are in our Advent journey, and in our Advent journey, we're looking at places where God shows up, and today we're looking at places God shows up when someone is searching, and Jacob is definitely somebody who is searching. So as we enter into this story, this Bible story, um, Genesis 28, I also always want to remind you that we are always reading our story. The Bible is a story of humanity, and so when we're reading a story, it's talking about people like us doing things like us with the God who exists and how they interact with the God who exists, and so we need to find ourselves in this story, and that's how it helps us to live. One of the ways, anyways. Today we're talking about Jacob the deceiver. So I say that first line so that I can tell you this next line. You have Jacob the deceiver living inside of you. He's part of your family heritage. I know you want to deny it, but you and Jacob have a couple things in common, right? Keep your hand down if you've ever lied about something. Nice job. <laughs> Right? We have this, I catch myself doing this all the time where I'm thinking someone says something and I say something about what I did and it's way bigger than what I really did. And I'm thinking right afterwards, why do I bother to do that? Like, who cares? And yet 
I need to somehow make myself look like I'm something other than I am. We all have that funny game going on inside of us. We live with Jacob the deceiver. Jacob's version of this was, he was the younger son, and I don't know if anyone had told him that when he was born, it was actually promised that he would take over his brother's position and be the first in line and get the big inheritance. But he didn't trust that to happen all by itself, and so he dressed up like his brother, put goat skin on his arms because his brother was hairier than him, wore his clothes because his brother smelled like the outdoors, right? Hopefully that's a positive smell in your mind. And then as he went to his dad, his dad blessed him as if he was the older son. He stole that blessing. He deceived his blind father. Should have mentioned that his father was blind in case you didn't know that. And as often happens when you deceive people in your family, that doesn't have good traction. And so he's now running. He's running away from his brother who wants to kill him, right? And when you're running away, what you're doing is you are searching. You're searching for a place to land. You're searching for meaning. You're trying to figure out who you are. And I would suggest that most of us, not only do we have Jacob the deceiver in us, we probably, again, put up your hand if you do not come from a dysfunctional family. This works really well for us, doesn't it? I can get you to say whatever I want this way. Right? We all have families that don't function perfectly. That's a nicer way to say it, right? Hi, my name's Eric. I come from a dysfunctional family. You can all join me in saying that. That's the human condition, right? And so all of us are in this searching mode where our story joins with Jacob's story and that we're searching for who am I really? How do I function? What is truth? How do I live out of the truth that is God's truth for me and not just the truth that I've gathered and inherited along the way? And not surprisingly, it's a long journey. So Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. I'm guessing that you, like me, when you read these lines, you go, that's interesting. But who knows where Beersheba is and who knows where Haran is and who knows how far that is, right? So Israel's a really small country. But Haran actually is about where Aleppo is in Syria now. It's about a 500-kilometer walk, because there wasn't a car at that time. This is early, early times. And so that's about like walking to Ottawa, all right? So Jacob sets out from Grimsby and starts to walk to Ottawa. That gives you at least a distance perspective. And then we get this line, so incredibly nondescript and uneventful that I was wondering when I first read it, why did they write this? When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. At nighttime, he stopped because he was walking and it was dark. Anyone got an idea why you'd put that in your story? Filler, right? It's intentionally lacking in detail so that you'll go, like I did, why is that in there? And in a little while, you're going to find out the answers to the questions I asked, and you'll find out why it's in there. That's called suspense. You're welcome. Hang on to your seats. <laughs> so one possible explanation for the dream of Jacob is that he took one of the stones there, and he put it under his head, and he lay down to sleep. That would give me nightmares and a very sore neck, as, long as, as well as a sore shoulder and or back. That's actually not why Jacob dreamed. He dreamed because God gave him a dream. And this was actually normal, right? This is how they slept, right? So if you sleep on your side out on the ground and you don't have a pillow, there's this gap here, right? And so if the only thing around you is rocks, you put a rock there. 
I'm guessing he was smart enough to also put his coat or something on there so it was a little softer, I don't know. Chances are he was just a lot tougher than I am, maybe you are, and so this worked for him. Okay, so the rock has nothing to do with the dream, at least not yet. Not a ladder. We are climbing Jacob's stairway. Wasn't a ladder. We handed out children's bulletins today and I checked them before the service. Yep, it's a ladder on there. It was not a ladder. It was a stairway. And that's important, otherwise I would make that point. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. How high is heaven? I don't know, we don't know. It's a lot farther away for us because we understand galaxies and distance and sky, right? But in this story, it's probably a little higher than this building, right? So in an ancient world where you think that there's water under earth and there's water over the earth and that the reason that the sea is blue and the sky is blue is because they're both filled with water, there's a dome and it's filled with water and it's beyond your reach, right? But that heavenly realm, that end of the world is just beyond your reach. It's not millions of light years away because there weren't millions of light years understood yet. Its top was reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, right? Let me show you, probably more helpful than my words. So on the left there, that's called a ziggurat. That's a Mesopotamian creature of, of human um, design. Basically, it's a worship place, and there was a shrine on top, or a temple on top, or a worship place on top. That's where gods lived, right? And the second picture, the right picture, handily, somebody took a picture of this old ziggurat, which has been restored and, and um, archaeologically excavated and all that kind of fun stuff, with the sun shining, right? That's a brilliant picture, so great for your art, but it also helps us see, since light is often an image of God, that's kind of what Jacob was seeing in his dream. He's looking up this stairway to heaven, which is what a ziggurat was meant to be anyways, right? And he was seeing God living at the top. So if you had other images like angels climbing up ladders, please remove those from your mind and take this visual and stick it in there, all right? Then God shows up. There above it stood the Lord. And whenever I read these, I want a little more revelation where you tell me exactly what that looked like. So we'll take the sunlight, right? But this image of having a dream and clearly it's God standing there. I'm always curious, what did he see? We know what he heard. He heard, I am the Lord. And the Lord tells us a whole lot about who he is. And this is the God who shows up in our life. God doesn't just show up in our life, me individually right here in this moment. God shows up with our past in mind. His parents have promised, I'm the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. And later in the Bible, since we're talking to Jacob here, it's going to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is that historic moment where God's saying, I'm gathering a people starting with Abraham, and we're going to go on a long journey. I've been there for the first two. I'm with you here right now, Jacob. And that's telling us, and I'm going to be with you throughout the generations, all the way to and through Jesus to us. And God also looks in the other direction to his dusty descendants. He says, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. Now, my Bema friends teach me that whenever Jesus was telling a parable, whatever he was talking about was probably plain in sight, 
right? And so if you know what Israel looks like and what Jesus was pointing to, you probably know why he talked about sowers, because there's people sowing seed and all those kinds of things. Same here, because when God meets Abraham, he starts out by saying, you can have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. Probably Abraham was outside at night looking at the stars when God said that to him. And then he says to Abraham, you can have as many descendants as the sand on the seashore. I'm guessing he was standing by the Sea of Galilee and saw the sand on the seashore and thought, there's a lot of that. And here's Jacob lying on the ground in the middle of nowhere in the dust. And God says, you can have as many descendants as all that dust you're lying in that you can't get out of your clothes because you've been lying in it all night. Right? He talks about his future and the many. And this is a single man on a journey where he's in fear for his life. It's his future promise. And of course, the present. And the present for Jacob and the presence for us when God shows up is that I am with you. That's his answer for all of our challenging circumstances, and that's his answer for all of our enjoyable circumstances. I am with you in this moment, and I will watch over you wherever you go. And so God is past, present, and future for Jacob, but he's also with Jacob individually and with everyone around him, because whenever God promises his people, I have a future for you, those aren't individual personal promises, it's all about you, and I'm going to take care of you, Jacob. It's you and everyone. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Almost a direct quote of what he said to Abraham. I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. So when God calls us and says, I have a plan for your life, right? When we hold on to the promise that Jesus loves me, he's always saying that to you, singular, and you, plural, at the same time. That's the beauty of English. They're the same word. Right? When God gives you a plan, when God puts a call on your life, that call is for all the people around you as well. It's not about how good your life is going to be. It's the wondering, is everyone experiencing justice? Is everyone experiencing truth? Does everyone experience peace together? God's promises are for us and for all of us. Awoke and aware. And no, I'm not going to suggest that Jacob was woke, because I'm old enough that I'm not even sure I know what that means. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. So not every text in the Bible is worth cross-stitching onto whatever that stuff is that you cross-stitch onto and putting on the wall, right? But this, is, this one is, right? Or if you're as gifted as I am, write it on a sticky note and put it on your mirror. Every day, the line, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it, is an incredibly valuable line. Because wherever you go, whatever you do, God's promise still is there for you. I have already shown up in this place. The ongoing question is, are you aware of it? Are you waking up to that reality? And if you're practicing spiritual practices, whether you do meditation or reading scripture or prayer or all of the above, when you take rest and silence, those are moments to pause and wonder, surely God's in this place, and I wasn't aware of it. And then I go, yeah, I see him there. I see him in nature, even at the beginning of December in the rain. I see him in the people around me. I see him in relationships, right? I see him in worship and music. I experience him in all kinds of different and powerful ways. Part of God's call to us is that he is showing up, but are we pausing and taking the time to pay attention are we awake and then aware? And these two, he was afraid 
Isn't it lovely how in English the Bible is totally a alliteration with the letter A in these verses? I know, only exciting to me. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? And again, listening to that in English, doesn't that seem a little weird? I'm scared. This place is amazing. That doesn't go together in English. It goes together fabulously in what's actually meant. Fear and awe are the same thing. You've heard the line, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That doesn't mean being terrified of God. That means being in awe of God, fearing the fact that he has power and majesty and glory and beauty beyond your imagination so that you're going, this is amazing and terrifying, right? Because it is a power beyond you that you don't control. God is way beyond us in that way. And so when Jacob realizes he's standing in the presence of God, he has this respectful fear, this beautiful fear, if that makes any sense, right? This ability to go, something's going on here. Someone's here who's way beyond me, and, I, and I'm incredibly attracted because it's beautiful and powerful, but I'm also deeply aware this is above me, beyond me. When we awake and are aware, we can be afraid because it's awesome. So what does he do? Same thing all of us would do. He makes a monument. Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel. Again, are you picturing this in your mind? How big of a stone did you picture he was sleeping on? Right? This long at max, right? No higher than this, because otherwise it would hurt his neck. And when you picture a monument, what do you picture? Same, right? Everybody's monument's about this big. No, you're picturing a stone that looks like me. A little better looking than me, but, you know, about my size, at least. So this little monument, I, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to find out later, sorry, spoiler alert, that he's going to come back to this place to this stone and worship there. I'm like, How did he find it? How did he know which stone it was? Right? It's just some stone that he slept on. He didn't even make it in the nookshook, right? Because that's what you're supposed to do. We all know that. Make something so that it looks like something. No, he just stood up a stone because it's probably not about the stone. It's probably about that act of worship, of pouring oil on a stone. That's crazy. Oil's valuable. Was then, is now. This wasn't motor oil, of course, but anointing oil. He puts oil on this thing, a valuable thing to him, and says, this is holy ground. This is a holy place. This is Bethel, house of God is what that means. That's why so many churches are called Bethel. They're the house of God, or we say they're the house of God, right? He recognizes that something happened here and we should make a monument, right? And when we have churches and buildings like this one, it's sort of that same idea. We trust something's happening in this place on a regular basis, and we need a place to say, that's where God showed up, and I remember that. Do you have holy places or monument places in your world? One of mine is Creef Hills. I've been there for many, many retreats. Um, and when I go there, I immediately go into silent mode. I'm always surprised when I go there with other people that they talk to me because when I go to Cree Fields, it's normally a place where I'm going to go and do a silent retreat and meet with God. And when I walk on paths, I remember some of the conversations I've had with God. It's a holy place. Now, I haven't stood up any stones there. They probably don't want me to, right? But it's a place that fits this Bethel. And I wonder, do you have those memory spots in your journey that you can talk about as well? So all that holy moment, and then here's Jacob, still searching. 
He made a vow saying, and again, this one you do not cross-stitch on your wall or write on a sticky note, because this is his vow. If God will be with me and will watch over me and do all the other things that I expect, then he will be my God. What did God say? God said, I will be with you, and I'm going to do all these things. And I've got the past, I've got the future, I've got your presence. And Jacob goes, yeah, we'll see. This was an awesome experience, but we'll see, God. Have you ever been there, right, where God does something pretty amazing in your life, and you're going, this is amazing, I'm so glad I was part of that worship, it moved me. And you realize a week later, you're going, yeah, that was, that was all right, but I don't know if God's still going to be there. That's that still searching journey that most of us kind of carry on with. Jacob makes a if vow. That's not how vows work. And he's struggling. This, by the way, I'm jumping ahead now. We're in chapter 32, I believe, of Genesis. A few chapters later, he struggles. He wrestles with God or an angel. And the man who he wrestled with says, your name will no longer be Jacob, the deceiver, but Israel, the struggler with God. Do you know that? That God's people's name was Israel, named after this guy Jacob, who got his name changed to Israel, and that their name means struggles with God, right? I know why we don't name our churches Israel, but I think that'd be a much better name for a church. Struggles with God, right? Or maybe we just do it in English. People who struggle with God. Be a really good, honest name for a church, right? Jacob had the incredible vision and the showing up of God, but he was on that ongoing struggle. This is our great, great, many times father who went on this journey with God and showed us that God continues to show up even when it's an ongoing search and an ongoing struggle. And then we get to chapter 35, a few chapters later again. This is Jacob circling back. He's gone through a whole lot by this time. He's married two wives, got most of his children, at least 11 of them, right? He's remet his brother who he's running away from. Um, he's had that struggle with God, that physical um, wrestling with God. And he comes back to Bethel. And he says to his family, then come, let's go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So God has already promised that he would be there. So we didn't need to doubt that God was going to be there. Jacob's journey, the one that's more important to us, is are we going to make a vow that says, I'm all in, God, I'm with you. I'm going on this journey, and I trust that you're going to be there. And notice that God is quite okay with us doing an if vow. He at least uses our bad vows. Let's put it that way, right? He still meets Jacob in the end and says, yep, see, I was there. I was for you. That's why we count our blessings. That's why we look backwards. That's why we remember and say, yeah, that's right, God. When my business failed, you were there for me. When I lost my dear friend, you were there for me, right? I notice you in retrospect, and I will continue to trust you. I will continue to remind myself that you show up and that you are with me. And then in John, oops, can you back me up, please? Thank you. In John chapter 1, the beginning of the Gospel of John, the um, beginning of Jesus' story in that Gospel anyways, Jesus says to one of his disciples, he's calling him, and he says, truly I tell you, you will see heaven open up 
and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, I think everybody who reads this who has Bible knowledge and knows the story of Jacob connects this with Jacob's stairway, not his ladder, remember, his stairway. And I don't know about you, so let's do this together now. Picture what this looks like. Heaven is opened, and the angels of God are ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So first of all, the Son of Man is Jesus. You didn't know that. So the, I, I've always pictured it this way. So you got a hole up in heaven, however high you think heaven is. And you got Jesus, the Son of Man, standing here, and the angels are somehow going up and down and landing on Jesus. Yeah, no, that's not what it says. Because this is about Jacob's stairway. Jesus is actually saying this. I am Jacob's stairway. That promise was a promise about me. And so Jesus is the connection between heaven and earth right? He was God, he was man, he's human, that's why we're expecting him, right? And he's the one on whom this collection of angels is going back and forth, and they're, they're messengers. So who is the one carrying the message from heaven to earth? Jesus. Who's the one carrying the message from earth to heaven? Jesus, right? And so this is basically looking back and saying all that stuff that happened in the first Israel, in Jacob, and then in all those people, it happens in its most full way in Jesus Christ himself. We're looking for Jesus because Jesus is the only one through whom this connection between heaven and earth can fully come. Now, that's shorthand because the entire Old Testament talks about that kind of stuff. And so I'm going to do a quick ad here. I am really excited right now about understanding how the Bible works and what it means and how we interpret it. And in order to really understand passages like this, you kind of need to know some of that stuff. And so if people want to, and I find that out when you tell me you want to, right, directly, by the way, right? Then I will teach a course in the new year, on Tuesday evenings probably, about how we read the Bible, how the Bible works, how we interpret it, and how we understand it. I would love to do that, but I only want to do that if you're actually interested in learning that, all right? So don't talk to me, I won't do it. You do talk to me, and there's three of you. That's enough for me, then we will go do that. Then we'll learn stuff like this, okay? That's my ad. And this, Jacob was prophetic. This, we're way back now in Genesis 28. This is what Jacob said. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He's, of course, talking about the place he's in. But when you read it, looking back from today through Jesus, this is what you see. Jesus said, also in the Gospel of John, tear down this house, and in three days I will build it again. He was the house of God, right? And he was the gate of heaven. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. He said, I am the life. He said, all the things that are the gateway to heaven were in Jesus. And so way back 2,000-ish years before Jesus was around, Jacob was having this dream. And he thought it was awesome already, but he had no idea what he was actually looking at there. He was looking at a picture of what we're anticipating at Christmas, that this guy, Jesus, was going to come into the world and be that connection between us and God. Keep looking into this guy, Jesus, as we go, because he makes all the difference in the world, right? You can anticipate all the fun things we're going to do this season, right? But that person who comes into the world changed everything. He is Jesus. He's the Messiah. God shows up in our searching. He meets us where we are. 
and he opens the way. What are you searching for? Are you open to meeting Jesus there and you need someone to help you do that? Ask me, ask somebody who knows you and let Jesus open the way. This is real stuff. This isn't about hearing a sermon and going, yeah, those are neat ideas, what a cool story. This is about a journey where Jesus actually helps us on the way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you were there at the creation. You'll be there at the end of time and that you were here in very powerful ways, walking in our world and also working with us even today. Help us, Jesus, to look for you, to see you, to experience your goodness, and to know your incredible love. We lay our lives before you and pray in your holy name. Amen.